please note, we are not giving expert medical advice. Our content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. If you do need to talk to someone, please look in the show notes where you'll find helpline phone numbers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of We Are All A Bit Mental. It's a show where we aim to question and challenge the rather wonderfully complex and often slippery subject of mental health. I'm Chesney Hawks, and for today's show, I'm stuck with the beautiful Lynn Ferguson. Ooh, you silver-tongued artist. And the very handsome Neil Harrington. I was wondering what adjective you use, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. They're both sitting here on my virtual sofa. So say hello then, guys, and we can crack on with this. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. The title of today's show is Celebration. Party Woo! poppers, please. Yeah. Get your maracas out. Celebrate good time. Come on. So we're going to talk about it, um, not just as an action, i.e. something we do, but also as a state of mind. I'm going to ask the two of you a personally tailored question about this with an aim to celebrating your individualness. Lynn, you're up first. So uh, let's have a look. With the last 18 months, you've had to deal with what, having cancer, having a mastectomy, uh, getting over cancer, then COVID. I mean, great going, by the way. Life's, life's been easy and simple, right? <laughs> She's doing great. She's doing great. <laughs> No, you know, I have to factually pick you up there. I'm going to factually pick you up. Oh, yes, please do, yeah, sorry. Um, I have to say, <laughs> in the past four years, I've had cancer twice, and I uh, don't have cancer at the moment. In case MD's listening to this who has just been diagnosed with cancer or knows someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, I'm just going to tell you this thing. When you're first diagnosed and they're trying to find out what cancer it is, that's the worst bit. That's the worst bit. Because they'll tell you all of what it could be and your mind always goes to the the darkest, which is a part of the thing of celebration, which is it, it seems like celebrating requires more effort than wallowing. I don't really know why. <laughs> you're spot on. I'm going to pause you because you're answering the question almost before I've asked it. So oh. how did you start to be positive and celebrate who you are? And, and your true reality. How did you get from cancer to celebration? And I suppose I just caveat that with, or maybe I'm being a bit premature and maybe you haven't got there oh, yet. No, I totally have. I mean, like everybody, I still have dark days, but most with the cancer, I don't really think about it at all. But So I was lying there and they strap you down because obviously they're going to amputate you. They're going to cut your breast off. Yeah. And as I was lying there, they strapped me down and I, it was like my... Hands were strapped to the side and I'm like topless and there's these people there that I've never met before. And I know that when I come out of the operating theatre, um, I'm going to be different. Mm. Mm. It's going to be different. And um, and I'm feeling all a bit, I start to get a bit frightened. And I'm lying there and I'm like, this is like a crucifixion. These people are crucifying me. I, what happened to me? Why am I, why is this happening? Why do I get cancer? Why should it happen to me? And then as I'm lying there, I had this thought that came into my head where I was like, wait a minute. Like, I have cancer right now and I'll die if I don't get rid of it. And all of these people here are coming to help me. And, go, oh, it's made me emotional. Okay. But like, I thought these people could have become like, um, pop stars or lawyers yeah. or, 
You know, they could have gone and like opened businesses elsewhere and instead they became these medical professionals. Yeah. They come, they save my life. And so then in my head, I was like, I welcome them with open arms. Mm. And it's totally changed my perspective of like, literally I went from being crucified to being, hey, come Just be your boys, right? Like, <laughs> take it off. And, and that was the toss of celebration. Mm. I think the thing that I learned about celebration is that it doesn't come without hardship. Okay. Like, in order to understand celebration, you have to understand that there is another side to it. There is both mm. night and day, dark and light. Um, and to not acknowledge uh, that there is that there are things to celebrate in life is like not acknowledging sunlight mm. or spring mm. or anything that's kind of about progression or growth. So, Chez, your turn. The way that the showbiz and music world works is for a while you're thrust into the limelight. It happened to you at 19, I think. It did. At some point, it must feel like I guess that limelight is turned off and then it's someone else's turn to be in the limelight. So how do you go about dealing with that change mentally? How do you go about feeling positive about yourself, your talents, your capabilities, and start to celebrate who you are when this journey has probably quite, been quite traumatic mentally? Well, yeah, it was. I was so young. I, w I was literally a has-been pop star at 22 years old, you know. <laughs> Good going. Good going. Well done. Yeah, I think I can, we can celebrate that, yeah, can't we? full mark. Let's celebrate that, yeah. yeah and I had, um, you know, obviously a huge success at a very young age, 19, and then it was like a meteoric rise and a me meteoric fall. Yeah. And uh, so... You know, I had that that moment where I had to kind of reevaluate my whole life because um, I had a, what I thought was kind of a family that travelled around the world with me. You know, and it really wasn't. It was kind of people that worked in the record company yeah. and the management company. And I was so young that I just thought they were like my family almost. You know, and then suddenly I couldn't get them on the phone anymore. So it was quite. Uh, it was, you know, I was so young, I don't even think I realized how much it affected me. You know what I mean? I was always that could I'd already been through the whole, um, the press um, giving me a hard time. Uh, and <laughs> so I, I had this kind of water off a duck's back attitude. You know, it's yeah. like nothing really affects me. I've been through this, so I can do anything, me. Um but I think it really did, looking back on it now, I think it really did affect me quite badly. And what it did was erode my confidence. Right. And uh, it, took me, it took me to a, you know, a place where I went from being kind of indestructible, kind of silver spoon in my mouth. You know, first single I ever released was a number one record all over the world. And I just thought, well, this is, oh, great. This is what happens when you put records out. Let's put another one out. <laughs> Just felt like you had the wind blown out of your sails, right? Absolutely, wind blown out of my sails, but but also kind of changed my whole outlook on how I see myself. And of course, that's what started the little voice in the head, the chatty, ugly friend that you talk about, Lynn, um, that says, well, perhaps you weren't good enough after all. You know, you're not what you thought you were, you know. <clears throat> so so I had to kind of reevaluate myself um, and really think about, you know, what I am, who I am, uh, what's important to me. 
Um, so I carried on uh, making music and and you know forming bands and, and and telling people to bugger off if if they asked for the one and only. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I very much rebelled against that that kind of thing. And I think it took a while for me to kind of really celebrate who who I am. Um, in fact, probably not until I met my wife, who turned my life around completely uh, in every way. <laughs> You know, financially, I was in, I was in a deep hole. She was quite good with money. She came along and says, "What the fuck are you doing here?" And uh, helped helped um, me kind of come out of my myself, I guess, and and um, and find my priorities and uh, change my priorities and figure out what uh, what really is real. What is real, you know? Because I don't think any of that other stuff was real. Yes, um, and so. Um, that's you know what I celebrate now is that is realize it's meeting myself like realizing That's a good way of putting it yeah hello introduce you to yourself <laughs> I think even if you look at it in in terms of the thing of celebration anybody who's ever planned a wedding or a big party will tell you that the bit before the celebration is hell it's hell <laughs> yeah. right so true so it like they come together you don't get to celebrate something. Unless you see the challenge. Obviously, those people that organise piss ups in breweries, they don't really have that. <laughs> they don't have that, no. do they? Because it's <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? celebration all the time. <laughs> so it's guest time. Woo-hoo. Now, our guest today, as I mentioned earlier, sadly lost his brother due to complications, all stemming from a long battle with various mental health issues. So he is coming on the show to talk about his experiences and help raise awareness and also, as we said, to celebrate the life of his brother. So without further ado, introducing voice actor, comedy impressionist, star of BBC Dead Ringers, ITV's Newsoids, the comic strip and spitting image, it's my old mate, Lewis MacLeod. I don't think we were in tune, Lewis. <laughs> Hello. Hello there. Oh, hello. How are you doing? How are you? Any better, I couldn't stand it. Oh. <laughs> How's it going? I can sort it. Hello, Chesney, how are you? Hello, mate. Good to meet you. You too. Well, actually, we met, I just remembered, because when I was presenting... Oh, hang on, we've got a showbiz story already, have we? I know, just before we even started. <laughs> well, I interviewed you because I presented a show with Jenny Powell back in 1993. And, uh, oh, Jenny Powell. Hmm. Yeah, it was a show called Gimme Five, and I got to interview you oh. in Newcastle. I, I, I had a bit of a thing for Jenny Powell, I have to say. I was I a little bit of a crush yeah. on her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, she's great. Great presenter, too. Oh, yes. Well, the thing about Nigel is, I mean, well, he's... I made a rod for my own back when we did him on uh, Dead Ringers initially because, of course, he speaks so quickly and he laughs while he speaks, so he sometimes don't even know what he's saying. But the thing about <laughs> it is, he's, I mean, 200 words per minute. I mean, I don't know how many men speaks, but he's very difficult to read if you've typed him up in a script and you have to read it in front of an audience. If I had just slowed him down... In the impersonation, I would have had a much easier time satirising Nigel Farage. God, that is amazing. <laughs> wow. You are amazing, you. That would be a Nigel Farage introduction, but of course, if we wanted uh, an alternative kind of introduction, say we wanted a disruptive approach to the introduction, Donald Trump would be quite a good example of that, wouldn't it? Well, this is disgusting. I don't know what you're all doing. I know that you're all liberal. <laughs> And it smells of liberal, even through the Zoom call. It's very bad, and we're going to win. I'm not leaving. Kicking, screaming. 
And then I'll have that sincere call. <laughs> How many American presidents can you do? Um, actually, a good question. Uh, there's well, there's the Donald. There's the vice presidents as well. Mike Pence is uh, Mr. President. He's very senior. Mr. President, I think you'll find that's near Bermuda. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> is it for sale? Um, uh, there's, um, you know, Clinton was one that uh, I did, and I did not. Indeed, I did. And, and there was uh, George W. <laughs> you know, there is no such word in France as entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Hey, how many voices can you do? I do well, I, I didn't. Really, so there's voiceovers that used to sort of. And when I started in London in about 1996, um, they had cards and they had listed them all. You had to write them all out, and I have yeah. to sometimes do a voice list. Certainly for spitting image, they, they they sent to us um, the characters that they're thinking about making puppets of. Yeah. And I said, well, I could do that. So out of about 109 of them, I got about 30 that I could do. Wow. But I've never really added them up because often what happens is the studios in, in the States will get in touch and they've got um, a line that they want to redo for distribution and they need it faster. So for somebody like Liam Neeson, that was a voice that I got to do quite often, actually, for yeah. the studios. Where there was, you know, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I don't have money. <laughs> but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. That's so good. But they want it fast. So they would get me in to do the, the thing, the same scene, but just quicker. So some of you would be, you think, oh, I never really thought I could do him. Because you're not thinking, you're thinking really as a stand-up, you're thinking, well, how's that going to be in comedy if I'm doing a cartoon or something, or if it's a mm. satirical show? And voices like Liam Neeson, you don't really sort of do them yeah. until... You, you know, you go, by the way, at the meeting, eh, I can do Liam Neeson, and suddenly they start writing sketches. <laughs> like Mark oh, Kermode was one that I started doing just recently. This film was probably Spielberg's Bon Mott. When you consider, and I thought, actually, I could do his voice. Jeremy Vine was another one. On the program today, and Jeremy Vine being on Radio 2, we're here today. And when he stood up to... Voices I would never have thought of doing, but you just, it's like talking to yourself, you know, sitting there going, practice, well, actually, I can. And again, you, you go through the notes, the wee sounds that it, the voice mm. makes, and you think, actually, that's not bad. And then you make a suggestion to the team and say, what about that one? So I don't know, in truth, I don't know how many I've got, but, you know, there's, there's voiceovers out there that'll probably be that's how I do 477. And they're all available now. <laughs> <laughs> I was 38 before I did my first ever Imagine a World. I thought that was the Holy Grail of voiceovers was, you know, yeah. Bill Mitchell and those guys oh. with the, the drink and the, the fags <laughs> coming in in the morning with a hangover. Imagine a time. He said to me once, he looked up and he said, um, <clears throat> he went, I don't do fast. <laughs> <laughs> I do fast. You know, something like, uh, I don't know, denim for the man that doesn't have to try too hard. Yeah. Someone's going, oh, please do it quicker, Bill. I don't do fast. If you want a speedsmith, you get Jason or Sanford in here. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, because they're all kind of, there's no many of them left. No. But, they're, they're vo but Tom Baker, people like that, the heroes. You know, the voice, a voice that's recognisable is nothing better. You know, mm. you can put he or she in anything. It's just a lovely thing. Um, and, and essentially, it's sales and marketing, you know. You're a, you're a marketeer, you know. There's there's probably not much in a house that I haven't sold, whether it's a <laughs> washing machine, a soapy liquid, an aftershave, <laughs> floor cleaners. I mean, I was the voice of Domestos for years. You know, new Domestos, 24 hour protection from flying germs. Still don't know what a flying germ is, could be a lethal fart. I don't know. But newspapers, everything. Yeah. So it, 
it's, be, it's just, I love it. I think it's great fun. And also, it's a kind of, people think when you mimic them, it's a form of flattery and complimenting them. And I suppose it is in a way. Um, but you get to work with great writing talent. The writers are what we are the best in the world. They're oh, just I bet. phenomenal. Well, the image guys are yeah. phenomenal, right? Yeah, they're really good, Ches. I mean, they're just brilliant. There's, and they come, a lot of them come from Radio 4. And uh, and so they've, they've, they've worked their way through that cycle yeah. of, you know. Like, of course. Great training ground, right? Yep. Like backbenchers in Parliament coming to the front, you know. Get on to Callum, shall we? I think. Callum passed away in, it was just before COVID, wasn't it? Literally two days before it. Three days into lockdown, yeah. Three days into lockdowns. Um, Callum, your brother, and uh, how old was Callum when, uh, when he passed away? He would be 58 right. in September, but uh, yeah, 57. When was he first ill? When did you know about it? Um, oh, the 70s, Lynn. I remember, so he, you know, he went into hospital about 1980. And then about 1985, he was fine. It seemed to come in cycles. You know, he would be ill for maybe six to nine months. And then he was okay for about three or four years. And then it would come back again. And it was just a cyclical sort of thing, you know, it would come. And that just happened all the way through. But I always, I, I used to think he had, you know, the, the luck that would beset him was part of the problem, you know. He, he had so many tragic tragedies in his life that, um, that you know, that were just awful for him. That we just we wanted to sort of just get rid of this thing that was annoying him and making him unhappy. And it was very difficult to quantify because they they, they sort of diagnosed him as having hypomania. And in the early eighties, was on this drug called Priadel, which is a form of lithium, a heavy metal. I didn't know that it was a heavy metal, apparently. And it seemed to help him, but he wouldn't accept that he wasn't well. Yeah. That was the problem. He didn't accept that he had an illness. And it was the mid-90s before he actually went, yeah, I think I think that was probably, I wasn't quite well there, was I, you know? So whatever the therapy uh, he got, may have been cognitive or something like that. Somebody spoke to him when he was in Edinburgh over a period of months that really helped him. But then, the, you know, the locked, he was in a locked ward. You know, every time he seen me go in, it was a locked ward, you know, it was... You know, he was on Largactyl, 900 milligrams. I remember that one, 900 milligrams an hour, which is, is... Wow. And he would just be chatting away to you quite casually. But if you took that <laughs> that amount of Largactyl that he was on that period of six hours that he was getting, it, he'd have been... <laughs> I mean, he would have been Spider-Man or something, like, you know, up the walls. Yeah. I think that personally one of the reasons that I wanted to do something about mental illness is I think that we we like to think of it as being um, something that would never happen to us or something that happens to, like, strange people. And yeah. actually, I think that really those who are very gifted or, or who have very acute senses are often people who struggle with it most, which sounds a little bit like your brother. Aye, you know, it's like, well, there was a couple of things like, okay, in the early 70s, you know, my dad acceded to being a CID in 1972, and, and his life his life changed. In 1978, he became a Mormon, and there was all this stuff going on. In the middle of that, Donald's become a punk rocker, you know, and, you know, the, the Mormon missionaries coming out of the house to teach, you know, the, the Gospels <laughs> and that, and then up the stairs they're playing Fling It in the Riggin. <laughs> don't mind, elders, I'll just be back in a second, and he dropped out the door, get that off! What's your problem? It's only a song. What's your problem? <laughs> and they're sitting down and saying, do you want a cup of tea? No, we don't. Do oh, no, okay. 
And so this was going on as well. But the, and so Callum also was <laughs> somebody gave him a bag of hash, or like they gave him the seeds, and he started growing it's, it in his bedroom. It's brilliant. I love <laughs> it. You know, he was growing cannabis in his bedroom. And this was getting, and this was blossoming. And so my father would be going to his work in the morning and, uh, how's Callum getting on, Margaret? Hey, well, it seems to be doing quite well. He's, he's got a plant growing in the back there. <laughs> hey, all right. And he looks in the window and he sees this blossoming thing. He goes, that's marvellous. Oh, that's good. A wee bit of horticulture. That'll do him the world of good. I'll be back at half seven. And away you go. And over the... <laughs> what did your dad do for a living? He was in the regional crime squad. <laughs> which, that, he was seconded to the regional crime squad. Go. So drugs and all that was part of the thing. <laughs> So he goes away down the stairs, goes to his work. And over the period of ensuing weeks, this plant was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, you know? You know, so so you dissolved to us sort of three weeks later, he passed the bedroom. And you say, How's that plant getting on, Margaret? I don't know, it seems to have getting smaller. Oh, it's a bonsai tree, is it? Oh, here, that's great. He's just trimming it. He's trimming a bonsai tree. Well, that's, I never thought Callum would ask, man, was away there. I'll be back tomorrow morning. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, he's bagging up this shit and flinging it out of the bag. Thank you, Willie. See you later. No problem. Don't miss his after day. There's no history either. <laughs> and um, off they go. Now, I mean, and I've, had, I've spoken to cousins, I've spoken to people about this, and they've said, well, well maybe there was, there was something. The cannabis might have been a propellant or an accelerant to it. I don't know. Um, Hmm. But uh, it, 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 that's the kind of comedy of it, you know. The, the, that was just how nuts it was. But um, going to court, and Donald's got some belter stories about, you know, where it wasn't wasn't really that funny. You know, he was kicking off hmm. in his flat, and the police get called, and they're all lined up downstairs with the loud hailer, come down, and he's going, and he's throwing toasters out the window and kettles and everything, and then he has to go to court and they're presenting evidence. The guys. You know, and is this, and you say he threw a kettle out the window? Yes, my lord. Well, and do we have the kettle here? Yes, we have the kettle here. And there's the handles left, you know, and they bring this <laughs> evidence up, and there's a toaster and a big dent in it. That's outrageous. He threw that? Yes, my lord. This was thrown from the top floor flat window. Well, I think that's outrageous. <laughs> and then. Um, like a rock and so roller I, to me. Oh, jeez. I mean, the th it, it, it couldn't. Mental health, to, with, but certainly with policing at the time, you know, if a cop turned up who was probably the same age as me, say we'd be about 22 or 23, mm. he's, it's difficult to impart just what's going to happen because he could sit for 45 minutes and go, yes, it's absolutely fine. Well, I don't really know what the problem is. I, I don't think there's anything wrong. And then suddenly, <laughs> he'd be like Herbert Lom and, and, you know, Pink Panther. He would suddenly, he just you know, he'd start, he'd start going and you'd think, and actually because we didn't know who to turn to, you didn't know who to get help from and, uh, it, it, that was the that dead end you would hit was just awful, and it and years of that, and it's it slowly it gets better. One of the things, Lewis, that you're really keen about is um, just raising awareness, and um, yeah. it was tough for you because looking back, there was there was no awareness that time. There there was nothing to help Callum, and what frustrated you so much was the way that he was treated was to be filled with drugs and kind of locked up. Yeah, I think that, I think a lot of parents were told things. I mean, we, we've got, you know, we, we did, I know my parents did as well, the best they possibly could. And of course. that's the hard thing is that there are signs that you get, you know, the um, lock, you know, going away up the stairs into your room and stuff like that. You know, you can see it now with phones. Nobody talks now. It's like, you know, phones, phones, phones. But that in isolation, you know, I, I, that's where alarm bells are going off with me. So, you know, 
that doesn't help because what's going on in that isolation with the door shut and there's no communication, you've got a family, you've got a busy house going on and then there's this sort of other, it's very easy to take your eye off that and, and you know, I'd imagine, you know, um, so I, I don't know if it was just, I don't know if it was advice given at the time, but lithium was, uh, lithium really helped. So Lewis, you told me that Callum passed away from complications and the way you summed it up, you said due to all the medication that he'd taken throughout his life. Yeah, there was, I think that I, 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 he smoked a lot as well though, Neil. I think the liver took a fair old pounding over the years with, with medications and, and, and chemicals. Yeah, I think that, that, that took its toll and, uh, and, and, you know, I found him. You know, he's you know up in his flat. I'm 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 po I'm the voice of Postman Pat, and I'm I'm opening up the letterbox, going special delivery. Hello, are you awake? Because his back was to me, and he had his arm behind his head. It looked like he was sleeping on the sofa. Right, he yeah. was, but you know, it, it was. Then it sort of turns a bit. Oh no, um, but he, I'm so grateful that he passed in his sleep, and that it, you know, if I'd seen him on the floor or something, like that, I think I would have just that would have been worse yeah. than anything. You know, just to. It's not pleasant. Yeah. And of course, it's during COVID, so you've got the firemen turning up going, don't come any closer, son. You stand there. Don't you move. Yeah. All right. right. Yeah. And you just know when they come out with that face, the head's tilted to the side, and you're like, oh, no. Yeah. And there was a wee woman next door to his flat who was lovely, actually. She she was brilliant. She came out. She brought two stools out, and she went, sit down. And I said, no, I'm all right. And the cop went, no, we're all right. And she went, sit <laughs> down. <laughs> Never seen a cop sit down so quickly, no matter. And she brought us a cup of tea and things like that. You know, there was moments of just love running about us that were really amazing, amazing. You know. Yeah. When we talked about you coming on the show, uh, we we kind of um, boiled it down to two things you were going to talk about. We uh, you want to talk about Callum to celebrate his life. Yes. And that's a wonderful experience for you. And 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 thank you for for doing that and, and sharing that with yeah, us. And you bring him to life, by the way. With those oh, stories. thanks, cheers, you, man. I appreciate you, I that. I can see him. Yeah. I, I, just, I genuinely believe I'm going to see him again. That's the thing. If I, yeah. I, I, I just believe in that, I, I, I have to. Otherwise, yeah, you got to. Yeah. You know, what's the point? The other thing we talked about is is looking back. Uh, if there's people listening to this that 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 might be concerned about loved ones or family members' behaviour, just looking back, is there anything, any wisdom you can share with someone who, who might be worried about someone? Yeah, that's, that's a hard one to answer, Neil, because um, if you, you've got to, I would I, I think that the people I know that I love and that I work with, my friends, are very good at giving out advice. And I think that that's, it's a bit like phone a friend, isn't it? It's who's the, who's the wisest person you know and share the thoughts. Look, I'm a bit concerned. It's to talk about it. It's not to internalize it. But perhaps the worst thing you can do is actually suggest to somebody who, who thinks they're fine yeah. is there's something wrong here. And um, mm. yeah, it's, it, it's maybe that. It's admitting that if, if they're forthcoming, they will. If they're not then you have to find a circuitous route around that in order to get the advice. And and I'm not a psychologist. I've never been trained in it. I have experienced that if you if you hold your line and just, you know, if in doubt, as Manny Judy said, if in doubt, say no. But that's not helpful yeah, yeah. if mm. it's an emergency or there's something really needed done. And I, I, always, I always say, speak to somebody that you trust, that you love, that you, you value their opinion, Harness that and then make your decision based on speaking to loved ones. 
So, Lewis, as you know, every week we have a little musical interlude. Yes. And you are our guest this week, so you get to choose uh, the song that makes you happy, that gives you happy emotions and feelings and takes you to a nice place. We're not allowed to play the original version, unfortunately, so I've recorded you my own little version. Woo! So, I don't know what it is, but please, if you would share it with our listeners. Well, I've chosen a song which is... Um, as lovers in the air, there's nobody to say. It's it's one of these songs. I love. I know Lynn's pushing herself. We see that's the thing. It's just. I mean, it's camp. It's but it's just brilliant. And it's got a really simple bam 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 bam. Love is in the air, and it's not just a love song. And it's there, and you from a look in your eyes, it's love is in the air everywhere I look around. It's, it alludes to something bigger than us. It's there in the thunder of the seas. You know, the seas thundering. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Put it on new. It's a great wee tune. Every sight and every sound, and I don't know if I'm being fooled. Don't know if I'm being Lewis, wise. it's your song, so it means you've got to do but the singing. And it's there when I look in your eyes. She got his troubles. Love that bass line at the beginning, innit? You hear that? You hear that bass line at the beginning? Oh, that's a poor fella. Here we go. Oh, completely. That bass line at the beginning. And the tambourine in the trees. In the thunder. And I don't know if you're an illusion. I don't know if I'm half my face. Find it's got the X Factor. I think you know, it's a great song, Chesney. I think you're great. I think it's got it. I think you've got it as well. <laughs> yeah, well done, Ches. That was Chesney, brilliant. that was magic. Even oh, Louis Walsh you. liked it, eh? How about Thank that? Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me think of guys dancing wearing slip on shoes, but it really does. <laughs> I think that's just Lewis. That's Lewis from 25 years ago, isn't it? Well, that's what, that's if I was Kirsty Warwick, I'd say, well, that's <laughs> Love is in the Air. That'll be at the Underbelly in the Edinburgh Festival in 2021 for three weeks, <laughs> written and directed by Lynn Ferguson. <laughs> that message should be delivered by the warm, smooth, arm-around-the-shoulder, velvety tones of Terry Wogan. You know, well, there we are. Just remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Katie Malliwell once said... There are nine million bicycles in Beijing. And what she failed to mention was there are two million Parisians with chlamydia. And for that, <laughs> I'd like to say be strong, be healthy, live in the moment, be happy. And if, you, if you're not happy, tell yourself you'll be happy. And one day, you will be. Oh, Terry. <laughs> oh, I did love you, Terry. Terry. Oh. Yeah, he was oh. magical, wasn't he? So there you go, Terry Wogan, a perfect character, Lewis, to deliver a nice, gentle uh, mental health reminder message for the listeners. So thank you with that. Now, um, before we say <laughs> goodbye, we have a final reminder for all you listeners. Lewis, who do you think would be appropriate to deliver this next lot of information? Well, all things are discussed here and, and, and some of them quite serious. And I think that somebody that kind of imparts that with a, a sort of a gentle entreatment would be perhaps Sir David Attenborough. 
Perfect. I love it. Okay. So let's have so David Attenborough deliver these these two last lines, a couple of things that we need to, a bit of information we need to share with the listeners. Well, thank you so much, and it's so wonderful to be here with you all in this auspicious, technologically advanced environment. If you're indeed enjoying the show, then if you could tell a friend about us, we would really appreciate it. And if you want to receive the bonus content and also be the first to know when we release a new episode, then make sure you sign up to our mailing list either on our Facebook page or at our website, weareallabitmental.com. And remember, the planet is dying, so be in a hurry. Thank you, Mr. Attenborough. <laughs> that was awesome. All that's left then wow. is to say our goodbyes. So until next time, I've been Neil Harrington. He's been Donald Trump. Thank you so much. You're a great bunch, but I'm not leaving. It <laughs> <laughs> stopped us in our tracks, didn't it? <laughs> no, Donald, you really do have to leave, I'm afraid. So one more time, I've been Neil Harrington. He's been Donald Trump. Thank you so much. She's been Lynn Ferguson. Oh, my God. I don't know if I want my name said by Donald Trump and he's been <laughs> Disney Fox. <laughs> All right, Barack Obama. Fighting the flames of despair, and she has been Lynn Ferguson. Ah, he's been Chesney Hawks. And we are all a bit mental. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Well done. Cheers, You've been listening to We Are All A Bit Mental with Chesney Hawks, Lynn Ferguson, Brandon Block, and Neil Harrington. Written, produced, directed, and engineered for Source Productions by Neil Harrington with plenty of help from Lynn, Brandon, and Chess. Bye.